and welcome to the Once Again Podcast. We are your hosts, Ashley and Jason. On today's episode, we will be discussing Once Upon a Time, Season 1, Episode 6, The Shepherd. This episode is written by Andrew Chambliss and Ian Goldberg and directed by Victor Nelly. It premiered December 4th, 2011 and had a viewership of 9.66 million. A brief synopsis, David, a.k.a. John Doe, must choose between staying with Catherine or leaving her to be with Mary Margaret, with whom he has fallen deeply and inexplicably in love. Emma catches Sheriff Graham in a lie. Meanwhile, back in the fairy tale world, Prince Charming is about to encounter a life-changing event that will forever alter his destiny. To begin with the recap, the title card features a dragon, which will- Which is super exciting. I love the dragon. It's interesting too. Uh, we talked about how good the visuals are on the show, and but in a post Game of Thrones world, I was like, "Oh, this dragon!" <laughs> but you know, it was ba- it was uh, ABC television in two thousand eleven. I also have to remember so. HBO. HBO puts a lot more money into their shows. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. This yeah. show had a lot of money put into it. Just mm. like that dragon's pretty good for what yeah. you would expect a show of this size in its first season to receive i i just re recently re-watched the fourth harry potter movie and the dragon in that isn't as good as the dragon in this so they did some work on it in the opening scene david nolan is with his wife Catherine, and she is showing him their house she comments about an old windmill which once sat on the front lawn that he disliked very much Everyone is waiting inside for him at a surprise welcome home party. As David walks through the crowd of guests, he does not remember anyone except the people he has met since waking up from his coma. His doctor, Dr. Whale, is also at the party. Dr. Whale being like, yeah, this will be good for you. Mm -hmm. No, why are any of these people having a party like this for a man who remembers nothing, who is literally walking to a Hannah house he's never been to before? Mm-hmm. This has had to be so overwhelming. I'd be so upset if people were like, yeah, let's have a welcome home party for a person who doesn't remember a single one of you. Like, you know, let's reintroduce slowly. And it's funny, too, that I know from production side, it's cheaper just to pay background extras to be there. But I would have enjoyed if we saw actual characters there, even something as simple as having Granny there, like being like, oh, you go to Granny's every morning for coffee or something like that. Yeah. It, we, they were just background extras that we never see again. And exactly. So, same thing with the last episode at the mine. Like, yeah, there was Ruby and Marco, but a bunch of the people that we never see again. Henry and Emma are at the party. And Henry tells Emma the reason that David does not remember anything is because the curse is not yet working on him. His false memories have not yet set in. Henry tells Emma that they have to jog David's memory so he will remember that he is Prince Charming. David comes over and after stabbing a carrot with a little wooden sword, Henry asks him if he ever used a real sword, which causes him to laugh. David wants to know if Mary Margaret is coming tonight. More importantly, blue leather jacket sighting in this oh, episode. Yeah. yeah, Emma's got the, Emma's got on the blue Emma's leather got jacket. the blue leather jacket. We did have the red one back last. Well, she's not on duty right now. So. Uh, obviously, <laughs> it's blue jacket time. Alone in the kitchen, 
David's wife, Catherine, is upset because she feels that that she still does not have her husband back. She confides in Regina Mills about the matter. Regina tells her that she shares a similar experience of losing a lover who is now dead. Regina consoles Catherine by saying that she is lucky, David is still alive, and they will have another chance to reconcile. Regina tells her to go back to her husband at the party. However, when Catherine goes back to the party and looks for David, he has already left. And my only note about this is that Catherine and Regina are now friends. And that Regina's really like shocked but happy about that fact at the same time. Yeah. I do have one note. So in the reawakened Once Upon a Time storybook, Henry literally tells David that Mary Margaret is doing nothing tonight and needs to go be with her for eternal love. That's fantastic. <laughs> the book, is, this is why when I say the book is bad, folks, it's bad. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's fantastic. Go, Henry. Go, book, Henry. <laughs> Meanwhile, David walks over to Mary Margaret's house and asks her why she didn't come back to the hospital as a volunteer, suspecting that he's the reason she resigned from the hospital. Mary Margaret reminds him that he is married, and David tells her that he is choosing her and not his wife, Catherine. Pretty straightforward. Um, Yeah. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Prince James is fighting the behemoth, which it was named in the wiki, but in the show, it's just a big guy in armor. And apparently he wins and kills his enemy. His father, King George, and the rest of those who are watching all congratulate him. King George makes a deal with King Midas for gold and other riches if Prince James can kill the dragon that terrorizes Midas's kingdom. After Midas leaves, Prince James stands near the body of the behemoth and speaks of his plans to slay the dragon. The brute who he thought he had killed suddenly reveals itself to be alive and drives a lance into the, the Prince James's back and out through his chest. I have a few notes about this scene. The sword fighting scene between Prince James and the behemoth took about six hours to shoot, which I think it only lasts about 30, maybe 45 seconds on actual on-screen time. So that stood out to me. And I actually looked up the definition of behemoth because I just found it interesting that the wiki named this character. And it is a huge or monstrous creature. It comes from the Hebrew Bible, chapter 40 of the book of Job. And some historians theorize that the behemoth was just a Hebrew word for hippopotamus. Which, if you think, is a huge and terrifying creature that's very aggressive. My note here is when King Midas goes to take off his glove, he says, remember to be careful because of what happened to Frederick last time. And, you know, we learn a few episodes down the line that Frederick is the person that Oh, that yeah. storybook Abigail, Catherine's story, uh, Enchanted Forest counterpart, Abigail, that's who she wanted to marry. Yeah, that's a great catch. Wow, I didn't think of that. That's wow. The Frederick line only stood out to me because, as we previously said, Midas's daughter's name is Zoe in the story, but they named her Abigail here, sort of Anglicanizing her name. And I just, I just thought, oh, it's supposed to be a Greek guy in a Greek story, but here's another Anglicanized name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's amazing. I never even thought of that. That's fantastic. Also, it's kind of funny that he touches the sword and turns it to gold, and James is holding the sword, and it doesn't affect him. Listen, um, don't think about it okay, that much. I, yeah, all right, fine, fair enough. 
the dead Prince James is taken away as his father says goodbye. The knights tell King George that they must move fast to kill the dragon or else Midas will find another dragon slayer. In turn, the king would lose what Midas promised him in exchange for, for slaying the dragon. The king tells the knights he already called for help and Rumpelstiltskin shows up and says, nice way to treat the gift I gave you. Fantastic, Rumpel. It is revealed that Rumpelstiltskin found the child for the king because he and his wife couldn't conceive children. The king wants another deal. He tells Rumpel he will give him anything if he brings his son back to kill the dragon and to aid Midas. Rumpelstiltskin agrees, but in return, he tells King James he wants the magic wand owned by the fairy godmother. She is the patron to George's family and he demands her whereabouts. The king agrees, but Rumpelstiltskin tells him that the dead cannot be resurrected. The king is upset because they had an agreement to have Prince James slay the dragon. Rumpel reveals to the king that James had a twin brother and that he will have him slay the dragon in the place of the dead James. I had a couple questions about this. I assume the fairy godmother's wand that he wants is Cinderella's fairy oh, godmother. Oh, 100%, because yeah. we're, we're, we're here backwards engineering the story still. Right. Like I said in the last episode, we're backwards engineering the story at this point. Right, and that makes me wonder, are George and Cinderella related? Maybe. Yeah, since like her family's supposed to be some form of royalty. It would explain why Snow and Prince James Charming are at the wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what. But I it would all, this also explains why they would know Rumpel would be very interested in having twins when they mm. made some, uh, Ella come up with that very lengthy that plan was gonna, to get, yeah. get, say they're twins. Like that was something that I was going to point out later on too. But yeah, I could skip to that right now if you want, or we could just discuss it when it comes up again. We can discuss it when it comes up again. If okay. We need. And here we see James's twin, our David or Charming, whatever you want to call him. And he is a shepherd overlooking his fields. Moving along, back in Storybrooke, Mary Margaret is washing the dishes and talking to Emma. She is focused on what David said about choosing her and not his wife, Catherine. Emma tells her to stop cleaning and have a drink. Emma advises Mary Margaret that if she thinks doing something is wrong, such as being with a married man, then it is. She tells Mary Margaret to let David figure out his own life. My two notes here are Mary Margaret is seen cleaning a white plate whilst talking to Emma. On, this on the back of this plate can be seen the Disney trademark sticker. Now, I didn't notice that myself. It was just a note that I picked up. I wouldn't be surprised, but also, come on, Disney exists in this universe. We mm -hmm. know that. They make reference to Marvel and stuff all the time in this show. Yeah, that's true. When characters don't know what they're talking about, you know. Mm -hmm. Emma pours Mary Margaret a glass of... McCutcheon's. McCutcheon's scotch. Thank you. In the television series Lost, the characters would drink McCutcheon's. And also Charles Widmore, who's played by Alan Dale, who also played King George, refuses to pour one for Desmond, saying it's too much money. So, you know, an actor from Lost showing up here on Once. Moving along... David is looking through his pictures, and Catherine tells him that he looks different, as he always used to have a buzz cut. His wife tries to convince him to go to bed, but David asks her if they can sit and talk some more. They share a kiss, but David pulls away and tells her that it is not right. Uh, my only note is David saying to Catherine, go to bed, go to bed, or go to bed. 
And she says, whatever you want. I think what kills me about this, and like, I feel like a lot of other shows do this a little better, is like, if somebody has an amnesia and doesn't quite remember, yeah. you usually kind of like let them go at their own pace and go, do you want me to set up the couch? Do you want to sleep in the guest room? Like, mm-hmm. Catherine's like, no, you're going to bed. Do you want to go to bed with me? Like, yeah, slow down. Well, I've never seen it myself, but there's that Sandra Bullock movie about, I think it's Hugh Grant being in a coma or something like that. And she pretends to be his fiance. Uh, to the family and everything it's but people in 2021 are like yeah this is a really creepy movie at the time that it came out people are like oh what a great love story (laughs) back in the enchanted forest prince james's twin brother is chasing a goat as his mother returns from the market his mother tells him that she had an interesting talk with the grain merchant he has a daughter that would be a good match because she has a big dowry and it will save their farm he insists James, that is, insists that true love is the one thing that he cannot afford to sacrifice. And when he chooses to marry, it will be for love. Rumpelstiltskin shows up, and Ruth admits to her son that she gave up his twin brother to Rumpel in exchange for the farm. Asked what he wants, Rumpel tells them that the king needs someone to slay a dragon. David tells Rumpel that he is not a dragon slayer. Rumpel states that if he succeeds in slaying the dragon, his mother shall never want for another thing in her life, and he will be a conquering hero. My first note on this scene is Rumpel drinking from the flask while he was sitting there. <laughs> I found that hilarious. Then I have Rumpel actually looks kind of sad when David's mother tells him the story of giving up a child. And I wondered how much of the script, like future scripts, or how much of the character notes did Robert Carlyle have? Like the fact that yeah. a, giving away a child would make him look sad and then I also have here written I wonder if the backstory for Charming is where he got the idea to tell Rumpel that Cinderella was having twins which is what I brought up earlier Mm -hmm. yeah yeah which I you know I would assume so because it just makes sense that that's how they know that Rumpel could use twins Mm -hmm. often enough and would be interested in them yes there are redundancy in his mind or whatever it's a good bargaining chip if one dies yeah yeah, the heir and the spare. Back in Storybrooke, Mary Margaret is at the restaurant and Dr. Whale shows up and asks her if she quit being a volunteer at the hospital because of him. So everyone, every man in Mary Margaret's life just assumes she does what she does because of them. Dr. Whale leaves just as Regina shows up to talk to Mary Margaret about David. She tells Mary Margaret that she and David do not belong together and that Regina tells Mary Margaret that David has left his wife and that she, that she should stay away because he is in a fragile state and that she is close to destroying many lives. My only note, one written down, one that I have in my head is Dr. Whale offers to take Mary Margaret out again, which geez. After and, he didn't call her yeah. after the date. Yeah, no, that's true. And the horrible date that they had to begin with. And... My other idea is just, is this Regina grasping at straws, trying to keep everything, trying to keep the curse in order, like telling Mary Margaret to stay away from David and all that? I mean, we are slowly kind of derailing the curse at this point. Like, Mm -hmm. I think next episode is where we kind of get like, we're off, the train is off the rails. Regina has no control. Yeah. The next episode shows that Regina is awake and knows what's going on. 
in the Enchanted Forest, King Midas comes up to Prince Charming and tells him that if he kills the dragon, he will be a legend. Charming is nervous because he doesn't know how to fight with a sword or to be a knight, let alone slay a dragon. The knights who are being sent with him to the dragon's lair tell him to stay out of the cave as they will take care of killing the dragon. Even though Prince Charming may not literally slay the dragon himself, as long as Midas sees the head of the slain dragon, it will be sufficient to save the kingdom. I mean, it's a good plan. I would assume <clears throat> that he would be useless in battle, so. Yeah, yeah. And it's just kind of weird because within the short span of a few weeks, he is super action guy. Accurate. Yeah. You know, he was a shepherd before this and you would think yeah. he'd have no skills. Maybe he fought off wolves or bandits or something. He was meant to be the prince all along. That's the real story. As Prince Charming and the knights walk towards the dragon's lair, high up in the mountains, they pass many burned bones and ashes of past dragon slayers who were unsuccessful. Although Prince Charming is supposed to stay out of the cave as they need him to return alive, he finds that he cannot just stand around having several knights dying in his place while not trying to help in slaying the dragon. He runs towards the dragon's lair as the dragon flies around and spits fire. Prince Charming manages to pull the head knight out of the cave and drag him to safety behind a stone. The dragon spots Prince Charming and starts going after him. He grabs a sword, runs to the entrapped dragon's neck in a narrow cave, and chops it off with the golden sword. I have a few notes here. The first one being spoilery, but we know later on that dragons are people. And I was just wanted to know who you think this dragon was. Well, uh, do we know that all dragons are people? Like, or is this just a dragon? It could like, just, yeah, it could just be a dragon. The only other dragons that we see in the series are people. True, but they're also related to each other. So mm, True. Yeah, fair enough. And also uh, Charming's one swing and he took the dragon's head right off uh, and there's no blood on the blade. Uh, very impressive feat. Also, yeah, for a man who has never really, I assume, used a sword in his life. No, no. Especially after he tried to pick up the sword that was like already burnt to a crisp and burnt yeah. his hands. Yeah, even, even more of an impressive feat. Yeah, he's yeah. not the smartest person. No, but eh, it worked out for him. So David shows up at Mary Margaret's cl classroom and she is upset that he has left his wife. He tells Mary Margaret that his wife Catherine needs someone who feels for her the way that he feels for Mary Margaret. David tells her that he wants her and he asks Mary Margaret to meet him at the toll bridge where she found him at 8 p.m. at the sheriff's station. Sheriff Graham brings Emma donuts and asks her to work that night in his place. He volunteers at the Storybrook pet shelter and needs to feed the dogs as the shelter supervisor is sick. Mary Margaret shows up at the station and tells Emma that David left his wife, Catherine. She tells Emma he wants to meet her that night. She asks Emma what to do and Emma tells her to go and meet him because David has made his choice. Emma just says that without even like a care. Like, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. He decided to, he decided he would leave her. So sure, go do it. Like Emma, we yeah. were just you were just telling her it's a bad idea. Well, and everyone takes everyone at their word. Like in the real world, I've known guys who tell women that they're getting divorced or are divorced and are still married to their wives and vice versa. Right? 
My only note here is s'mores, cocos, and now bear claw donuts. How does Emma Swan keep her figure? It must be magic. It really must. Uh, my note is, so in the book, Reawakened, mm-hmm. Henry literally just shows up here, like oh. randomly, to talk to Emma and be like, yeah, my mom's at a meeting and tells her the story of Prince Charming and the dragon. Hmm. And then he mentions, he's like, Mary Margaret wears the ring that like his mom you know we see later like mary margaret has a ring and it's the ring that charming gave her basically Mm -hmm. yeah and she wears it on i guess that would be your class finger like your class ring finger yeah it's not your engagement ring finger yeah um yeah it's interesting i wonder what mary margaret's filled in storyline for that ring is Um, i don't think we ever hear either no I guess it probably is just supposed to be a class ring. I mean, she's a teacher, so she's obviously an educated person. Yeah. Anyway, King George, oh, King George tells King Midas that his son has slayed the dragon. Midas tells the prince they respect him because of what he did. Midas tells them he thinks big and not small. And then they bring in a girl who Midas introduces as his daughter, Abigail. He tells them he values her more than gold, and he wants to offer her hand in marriage to Prince Charming. As the one who slayed the dragon, he is worried he is worthy to marry Midas's daughter and unite the kingdoms. Prince Charming is humble, but begins to decline the offer. His father quickly pulls him aside and tells him that he must marry her. If he chooses not to, he will be responsible for the destruction of everyone and everything in the kingdom. And the king will also kill him and his mother. I have a few notes on this scene. Midas has already gilded the dragon's head. He's turned it to yeah. gold. Pretty interesting. And Midas says the line to put the dragon's head between the chimera and the mepicura, mepicura. I can't remember how he said it. Yeah. Uh, but I looked up, I you know, I've heard of a chimera before, but it's a creature from Greek and Asia Minor. It is a fire-breathing hybrid creature composed of the body of a lion with the head of a goat protruding from its back, and its tail ends in the head of a serpent. A mepincura, mepincura, whatever it was, is from Brazil, and it is a giant sloth or ape-like creature, and it emits a horrid odor which can knock a man unconscious. And some legends say that it has a second face on its stomach. So Midas really has a problem with uh, horrible magical creatures showing up. Apparently, I guess his goal just attracts that. Well, that makes sense with the dragon, because dragons always want to hoard gold. I don't know chimeras or the other creature well enough to know if they're after gold. But yeah, Midas has a serious problem with these magical creatures. I just think... You know, we also see a lot more of Abigail in that scene, mm-hmm. finally, and see how, like, kind of disinterested she is. She's so bored. She, yeah. she's so bored. Which we oh, kind of learned do. that she's, I like how she's like, well, you'll do, I guess. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, ma'am, he just uh, slayed a dragon. Mm-hmm. At around 7.45 p.m., David sets out to find the toll bridge with a map in his hand. On his way, he encounters Regina. She asks him if he is lost, and he tells her that he is looking for the toll bridge. When Regina asks him why he is looking for the toll bridge, he says he is looking for someone. She realizes who he is looking for and says, so you made your choice. 
He tells her that he cannot change his feelings and Regina gives him instructions to the toll bridge and wishes him luck. Meanwhile, Mary Margaret is waiting at the toll bridge for David. David is lost. Regina actually gave him false directions to the bridge and Regina's directions take him to Mr. Gold's pawn shop. He goes into the shop and asks where the toll bridge is. Mr. Gold gives him the correct directions, but on his way out, David sees a windmill and asks Mr. Gold where he got it. Gold replies that it has been gathering dust forever, and David suddenly realizes this is the windmill Catherine told him about, which used to belong to them, and suddenly remembers, quote unquote, everything. I do love that Gold calls him charming without Fantastic. calling him charming by calling yes. the baby mobile charming. Yeah. Well, it, it's just one of those fantastic gold rumple lines. Charming. It's and one of those where you're like, does he know? Is mm-hmm. he awake? I have here that the uh, mobile that David was looking at with the unicorns was the one hanging above Emma's crib in the pilot. And my other note is David and Gold's lines going back and forth. David about the windmill. I think this belonged to me. Gold saying, really? Are you sure? David saying, yes, I remember. And then Gold with this, uh, has a small smile on his face, which is interesting because he wants the curse broken, but does he enjoy tormenting Snow and Charming? Also, is he in cahoots with Regina in this moment? Because Regina clearly sent David that way. Yeah. Like, yeah. did Regina and... know what she was doing, sending him to Gold's, assuming he would go into Gold's, and then they plan this out. And is Gold still windmill. just kind of pretending to be asleep so that yeah. he went with this plan despite it kind of not getting him to his ideal curse being broken format here. Mm. I don't know. Like, is he playing the long game here? Oh, he's always playing the long game. I mean, game. it's always <laughs> the long game, yeah. but... Yeah, that's, that, that's an easy enough question to answer. As far as uh, being in cahoots with Regina, I'm not sure. Uh, possibly. It is awfully coincidental that uh, these events happened as they did. Did Regina know that seeing the windmill would give David his false memories? Who knows? Back in the Enchanted Forest, Prince Charming comes back to his mother, who is happy he is alive. She is excited at how good he looks and how he looks like a prince. His mother tells Charming that the king has taken care of them and made improvements to their house. Charming tells his mother that Midas wants to unite the kingdoms and wants him to marry his daughter. His mother says he was right to refuse the offer, assuming he turned down Midas's offer, as he did to the grain merchant's daughter. But in order to save the whole kingdom, he tells her he must take the place of his dead brother, James, and marry Midas's daughter, Abigail. He tells her no one can truly know his identity. He also reveals his new identity as Prince James to her, and he will never be able to see her again. He just came to say goodbye. His mother gives him her ring, which was given to her by his father. She says the ring follows true love wherever it goes. They embrace and say goodbye. I mean, we do know that the ring does, in fact, bring true love wherever it goes. Because right after that, he meets Snow White on the, you know. You know, she's she's probably the best mother in this series, at least so far. Like, despite giving up the twin. We'll ignore that for a second. Like... She's actually probably one of the better parents here. Well, she's she's certainly the most loving mother. So yes, far. and like she wants him to have true love, which mm-hmm. we don't see like at all. Although we can make an argument that Granny 
is a very loving mother to Ruby as well. Ruby is just slightly problematic. So David finally shows up at the toll bridge and Mary Margaret is waiting, wearing a ring exactly like the one Ruth gave her son. And David tells her that he remembers everything. Mary Margaret asks if he loves his wife and he says he doesn't know, although he knows he did have feelings for her once and he has to honor his marriage vows. He tells Mary Margaret that he has intense feelings for her, but he is going back to his wife because it was the right thing to do. Maybe not the honorable thing to do, but the right thing to do. Mary Margaret is hurt and upset and tells David the right thing to do was to not lead her on. She leaves the bridge, hurried in disappointment and tears. And my only note here, as he tells her he remembers everything, is no, David, you don't remember everything. And like, I understand when she's like, well, you shouldn't have let, like, led me on. But I'm like, was it really him leading you on? Because like in his head, he didn't remember anything like 10 minutes ago. Like he only knew that he cared for you and inexplicably cared for you. Like, yeah, it's a messy situation that she. Like, I'm not saying that she shouldn't be upset, but like, I don't think anybody's leading anyone on here. I think. Yeah, no, she has the right to be upset, but not for the reason that she thinks she does, or the reason that she says she does. She needs to be mad at Regina for meddling. Yeah. Meanwhile, patrolling the streets on the night shift. Emma is driving in the deputy's car when she sees a dark figure coming out of the second story of the mayor's house. She confronts and stops the the dark figure walking out of the driveway by hitting him with a baton. However, she is shocked to find out that it is Sheriff Graham. Emma questions what type of volunteering Graham does as she figures out that Regina and the sheriff are having an affair. The sheriff tells her that he was sneaking out the window because Regina doesn't want Henry to know that they are sleeping together. Okay, so I get they don't want Henry to know, but like, is sneaking out the window the most inconspicuous way? Like, couldn't <laughs> you just sneak him downstairs when Henry's not paying attention or asleep? Why, why the window? Like, if somebody was trying to sneak out my parents' window, I think I would notice or hear something and be like, what, what the hell? Yeah, I have no solid answer for it. You know, Henry is probably... Like, do they do this all the time? This is how Sh- Sheriff Graham comes and goes? Because again, odd. Yeah, I, I have no good answer for it. Maybe it just entertains Regina, so that's why it's done this way. Um, Fair enough. My two points here were question asking, do Regina and Graham get all 50 shades up in there? Just I mean, does look- he have a choice? Oh, yeah, you're right. That's a good question. And the second thing was Emma's line of saying, oh God, I wish I was Henry right now in regards to not knowing that Graham and Regina are sleeping together. Um, Emma, we all wish we were Henry right now. Yeah. Uh, Graham and Regina are both attractive people. You know, let them, let them have their fun. So my next note here is David rings the doorbell and his wife, Catherine, answers the door and he tells her that he remembers everything. He admits he knows that they were not in a good place when he got hurt and tells her that he remembers the windmill, which he hated, and how it triggered his memory in Mr. Gold's shock. He tells her they have a lot of work to do on their relationship and it'll take time, but he wants to see what will happen. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Prince Charming and Midas's daughter Abigail are betrothed to be married. King George tells him that he is confident he has made the right choice. King George calls Prince Charming's son, 
and Prince Charming calls him father. Abigail does not look pleased with Prince Charming, and King George tells Charming to smile since he is on the route to true love. Prince Charming and Abigail are in a carriage driving away as Snow White is hiding in the trees. My only I, point I do here, find it interesting that he, yeah, you had the same note that uh, it, when, you, when you're on the road to true love that he does meet Snow literally like, what, 10, 15 minutes after he says this essentially? Yeah, he's going to meet like, Snow. Yeah. Yeah. The real love of his life and everything. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing about this scene that I noticed when watching it was you have the two kings and their children and that was kind of it. Like they're supposed to be in King George's palace and they're leaving to go to Midas's. King Midas's yeah. yeah. And there are no peasants or workers or any anybody in the background doing anything. I mean, I think we're also supposed castle. to understand that King George is kind of poor and broke at this point. So like, yeah. he might not have a lot of people around just because I of f- that fact and I not wanting like- people to know. But I feel like King George is the type of king that would have no problem with uh, indentured servitude. Mm, Fair. (laughs) You're uh, right. Yeah. In the final scene back at Granny's Diner, Mary Margaret sits alone in silent thought and is approached by Dr. Whale. After a bit of pondering, Mary Margaret reluctantly asks him if he ever went into a situation which he knew would have a negative outcome and do it anyway. Quickly, Dr. Whale says no, prompting Mary Margaret to ask how he can do that. He replies that he refused to do what is expected because it keeps life interesting. He then offers to buy her a drink, to which she replies, you can buy me too. I do like his comment here when she originally ignores him that he's like, hey, it's easier to talk to someone who you don't care what they think of you. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, Dr. Rail, she doesn't like you and doesn't care what you think. And then you want to buy her a drink. Yeah, he's just looking to get what he wants. Oh, 100%. But he's also not wrong. Like, it is easier to talk to someone when you really don't care what they think about you. Oh, 100%. I don't have any notes about this. That's all I have. Anything else you'd like to say? No, this episode is just kind of, you know, straightforward. That concludes this week's episode of the Once Again Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Any questions, comments, or critiques can be addressed to either our email at onceagainpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at onceagainpod. If you're feeling generous and would like to contribute to the podcast, we have several tiers available on patreon.com slash onceagainpod. Also, a like and a share would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.